Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kaylin, and from the Brainwaves team today we have Susie. And before I hand you over to Susie, I'd just like to begin by acknowledging and paying my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land in which I'm coming to you from today, land where he- we here at Brainwaves have been telling our stories and land where stories have been told by the traditional owners for many, many years before us. I'd also like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who will be listening today. Thank you, Kaylin. My name is Susie and today I'll be chatting to Dr Louise Hansen. She will tell us about her experience and recovery from psychosis and associated anxiety and depression and her truly remarkable post-traumatic growth. Louise is a psychologist and teacher Um, She taught psychology at James Cook University, worked in the corrective services and is passionate about martial arts, yoga and nature. Louise is also a mental health, human rights and social justice advocate. I was fortunate to connect with Louise on Twitter due to her advocacy, particularly for refugees. And it's been a very um, interesting few weeks in relation to refugees lately with the family from Biloela. Now, psychosis is described as a condition that affects the way one's brain interprets information. A person suffering psychosis loses touch with reality. It is a symptom of other conditions and can be triggered by not only illnesses such as schizophrenia, but things such as drug use, medical conditions, cognitive decline, and obviously a genetic predisposition. Our listeners will be pleased to hear that psychosis is treatable and such treatment involves medical, psychological and social interventions. Hello, Louise, and welcome to Brainwaves. Thank you for the warm welcome. Louise, can you tell us a little bit about your early life, your childhood, your teams, your family, university, stuff like that? Um, Okay, so I was born uh, on the Gold Coast and... um, when yeah I don't I don't have a lot of memory from my childhood um, other than being quite like timid and um, yeah anxious and a little bit depressed and things like that I do remember at the school that we went to um, we had a time capsule it at Emmanuel College we put this time capsule into the ground and I think when I was like Oh, still under the age of 10, I said, um, when I grow up, I want to be a teacher and give everyone a good education. Um, So that was really cool that I ended up doing that. Um, But yeah, I don't remember that much about my childhood. And then we moved to Cairns um, when I was 12. I didn't really get especially good grades at school or anything like that. Um, But then when I went to university, that's when I fell in love with psychology. And by the time I got to fourth year, um, I ended up getting the best mark in Cairns and Townsville campus for JCU. Um, So 
I remember just crying because I wasn't an especially smart student at school, uh, which was probably because of trauma as well. Yeah. Yeah. So did you start by doing, like you just went straight into psychology, did you? No, I started doing uh, primary education because uh, yes. I didn't think I would be smart enough to do psychology. Um, and I, I went into education. I, I really loved it. Um, but then... Uh, and, I, and the practicals I loved. I loved working with the kids. But in terms of the education system, I didn't particularly, um, I don't know, I didn't feel comfortable with the, in, like the seriousness of the, in, of the education system and the strictness of it and things like that, which was probably another factor of my anxiety, uh, anxiety and psychosis that will unfold later um, in the story. But psychology was just perfect for me. So in the I think in the second semester, I, I saw that you could do uh, the joint degree and it was just one extra year. Mm. So instead of doing electives, I chose to do psychology course. How old were you when things changed for you and what exactly happened? Um, I think what happened was I, you know, like psychology was really eye-opening for me to see, um, yeah, like how we work as human beings. I remember there were key things back then uh, that when I look back now that are really like topics today, but they weren't spoken about then, they were more like a conspiracy theory, for example. Um, yeah, like we learn about that stuff in psychology. So, for example, medication, you know, how common, commonly prescribed people are with, you know, things like depression or like that. And, and back then I remember as a kid, you know, thinking, well, why, why are we all taking medication? Why don't we change the system if there's something wrong with the mm. system? Like why don't we do that instead? of just giving everybody medication but because the pharmaceutical revolution was quite new back then you know not a lot of people even knew about it to even have those conversations mm. um whereas now 20 years later like you know we know we have this huge issue where we we as a society western world we have over medicated everybody mm. i'm not against medication it's very important i will say um you know like it has its place and mm. um there's a time and a place for medication but when when you've got so much of the population experiencing trauma and then the you know the different faces that trauma has for example like depression or anxiety or all these different things um and then everybody's taking medication for that you, at some point you've got to ask the question like you know is it is it the person that has a problem or is it the environment that they are in that is also you know contributing to that problem so there were little things like that that would pop up along the way as I would learn psychology um and then when I did my PhD like I asked the question where is emotion in the brain and um is a fascinating topic like it was started with the two hemispheres of the brain so you got the left and right hemisphere and um yeah there's there's this sort of um miss a myth that like you know one hemisphere is like you know about emotion another hem hemisphere is about language for example um we know that the hemispheres can be dominant uh in one area more than the mm. other um, but it's not as black and white and simple as that mm. so um, basically my topic was to to demonstrate that things like even emotional processing is so dynamic and um, connected to everything mm. else as well like language and stuff like that you can't really separate these things even though mm. we try to and um, 
and that, yeah, it wasn't as simple a question as we had thought it might be and, and things like the type of instruments that we're using, like we used to use brain lesion studies and then we used, um, yeah, like visual field studies, all these different studies along the way and now we use neuroimaging studies so we can have a look at what's going on um, from you know modern techniques and you know essentially what we found was like there's so much confusion in this area um it's very inconsistent like mm. findings so we know that the whole brain is working um you know when when things like you know emotion and stuff like that are happening but then even despite that there were still these really obvious differences between one ear and the other so for example a lady walked into a nightclub and she asked for a cigarette right, to the left ear or the right ear. And people were twice as likely to say yes if you ask them in the right ear mm. compared to the left ear. Mm. And so what that actually means in terms of the two hemispheres is it's the opposite hemisphere, yeah, mm. that's making that um, type of processing. Analogy. So yeah. So if it's a, so that's called a right ear advantage, which means the opposite hemisphere is the left hemisphere. And so they thought, oh, that's because language is, you know, predominantly in the left hemisphere. So it was, that was my topic. It was really unusual uh, area research where even though we look at these brain studies now and we know, you know, it's really like it's happening throughout. It's not as simple as one hemisphere mm. throughout the other or sorry, one hemisphere mm. over the other. Um, but even despite that, we still get these really significant behavioral differences, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. Um, so anyway, that was my topic. And then um on a side note to that, I was sort of reading lots of, you know, um, you know, quotes and poems and, you know, spiritual pieces and I'm not religious or anything like that and it's okay if people are. Um, but, yeah, I was just reading a lot of different things, lots of different types of literature and, um, and then, yeah, all of a sudden I kind of had this experience where emotion was not just in the brain, like it's throughout your whole body. And, you know, we do live in this universe that, you know, a lot of scientists believe is, um, you know, not uh, alive so much, so to speak. But then there's other people that argue that it is. We live in this living cosmos, right? Mm. And so it was really interesting to go on that journey to explore um, yeah, I guess what in terms of emotion, like where is emotion in the brain? Well, hang on a second. It might not just be in the brain. It could be throughout our whole system. It might not just be in our system. It might be all around us. And that's kind of how the psychosis unfolded because if you look at, say, um, the best, the simplest example to give would be, you know, science stays inside the box. Yeah, it's very strict. Yeah. And you have to stay within the box. So when we look at things like mental health, you know, we look at, what we call this um, biopsychosocial model. So we look at your your body, we look at your mind, and we look at social connection. And we mm. and all these different things predict whether you can you know ha have good mental health or you might become unwell. Like so, you, what's That's happening right. with, yeah. with your body? Mm. Um, you know, you might become unwell. Uh, what's or it might be genetic. Um, when we look at the mind, you know, like what type of thoughts do you have? Are they really critical negative thoughts or do you practice self-compassion? Um, and then social connection, we now know is the number one, one of the biggest predictors of how long we live and how happy we are. So that's, that's science and, and the Western model and it stops there, right? But if you step outside of that, which is, um, you know, kind of what happened with my psychosis, when you step outside the box, 
you then get to see all these other beautiful wisdom traditions, what they have done for, you know, tens of thousands of years that we, you know, have sort of ignored. And so the, the best example I can give for that is if you look at, say, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture, they actually extended that biopsychosocial model. And what they include is, you know, the body, the mind, social connection, which is the same, uh, but they also have... Um, they also have culture and then they also have country and then they also have spirituality, right? So that encompasses everything of what it means to be a human. And spirituality can be about God, but it doesn't need to be about God. So it's more about existence, yeah? And it's as, it's as far as you can possibly go in terms of that, you know, what encompasses being human because we don't know what is, you know, what happens when we die. So in terms of my psychosis, this looking back now, I can really see how it happened because I was sort of grappling with all these different, you know, topics and, and different ways of seeing the world. And then I was also bound to, you know, like the scientific method because I was doing a PhD, I had to stay inside the box. But then at the same time, I could see there was so much outside of the box. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And when you're saying as well about the biological aspects, there's also intergenerational trauma and oh, they're yeah. finding out uh, every show I do, I seem to manage to get the expression gut bacteria into it because more yeah. and more um, knowledge is coming out of that area and the impacts of yeah. gut bacteria on your physical and mental health. Yeah. But um, with relation to your, your psychotic experience, would you like to share with our listeners how that felt? Yeah, absolutely. So, so what happened was, I, you know, as I was exploring these ideas, like I, I had this kind of, in India, they call it like an awakening experience. Yeah. So, so yoga is the best example of this. So yoga means um, union. Right. Yeah. And so so a lot of people think they're just doing yoga for their body. But actually, if you go and look at like the, the intention of yoga, it's actually for your mind to um, to obliterate your what they call your individuality yeah. and yeah. Um, or, or what we would think of as our personality. Yes. Yeah? So yeah. what makes me separate from the whole, like separate to you, separate from the world. Um and so, and so that's why when, when that happens, which they call like a, maybe like an awakening or a peak experience or enlightenment, or um, there's lots of different ways to explain it or awareness. Um, so, so when you have that experience, you experience this union, right? Uh, or mm. where you feel like this oneness where um, it's you, you and the universe are no longer like this separate thing, which is, which is such a beautiful experience because now it's not you against the whole universe. Yeah. So yeah. when it's you against the entire universe, you will definitely lose that game. And that's why yeah. we feel anxiety. We feel depression. We feel overwhelmed. Yeah. We feel terrified. Um, whereas yoga was intended for, um, I guess you and the universe to be partners in crime, so to speak. So for me, like when I was sort of, you know, um, dancing with all these different ideas for my PhD topic, I actually had this experience as well, which was crazy for me because it was not, nothing that I was introduced to as a child or, you know, in our culture growing up. So, um, like you, all you want is other people to have that experience because yeah. it's so beautiful, like to, to be connected, to feel like mm. you're connected to everything and everyone, mm. you know, where you would never hurt a fly. You, you, would, you don't want to fight with people. You just want to help everyone. You know, you just want to share everything. Like it's such a beautiful 
place to be, right? So, so with that, that's all I wanted to do after I had that experience was to write about that for my PhD. Because remember, my question was, where is emotion? Yeah, that's right. Yes. So it was totally relevant. So I went back and I said to uh, my supervisors, "Look, I've just had this incredible experience, and I really think this is important. And I think that this is a problem that we've had in psychology. Like we focus too much on." Um, you know, like philosophy, which is thought or behaviorism, which is our body or um, the cognitive revolution. Again, that's thinking, pharmaceutical revolution, that's medication you know and if you if you look throughout the history of psychology it's we were not never allowed to study these things like or if we were they were always put to the side like emotion consciousness spirituality so going back to that aboriginal Torres Strait Islander framework yeah it wasn't inside the box and because it's not in the box we're not allowed to touch it and I I really could see and and even now 10 years later I can see even more that and people are starting to see even more like the limitations even though science is amazing you know I'm not in any way discrediting science we need it it's incredibly important um but we also need to be able to look at the like that holistic approach and what's outside the box as well to be not just as a side thing but something just as valid so sorry going back to the psychosis what it felt like um at first it was like a a mania which is in in western terms we would call it mania Mm. um but in indian in if you go to india and look at it from like yoga Mm. point of view they will call that blissfulness and ecstasy Mm. right so i prefer that language yes (laughs) a lot lot less judgmental you know a lot lot less stigmatizing um but anyway mania is can be terrifying so we've got to be able to balance both and yeah accept both um but anyway so I I went back with the proposal and they said no you have to write it this way right so so that was when and I understand that I respect that you know the lovely supervisors and and you know that is we have to follow a process and that's Mm. another debate for later but so then that was what turned this beautiful experience of like um you know like feeling like blissfulness and ecstasy and connected to everybody and awakeness um, like yeah just mm. i just went from complete from complete trust and you know like faith in humanity to just like wow like i just found truth like i just touched truth for the first time in my life mm. and i'm not allowed to write about that like and how many other people throughout history Yes. It made me think, it made me think yeah. how many other people throughout history have touched like reality, like the actual yeah. truth. Been ahead of their and, time and rejected, yes. And they're not allowed to write about that. And, and it really destroyed, it truly was the first time. I'd never had my heart broken before, like not in a relationship or anything like that. And it was, it was truly a heartbreak for me, like because I had been at that uni for nearly 10 years maybe now and um so that was my first home away from home like I felt very safe there very comfortable there and um and that's probably why I got to that experience like but then when it was I was told that no that I'm not allowed to do that then that for me the trust was gone and and it's beautiful looking back because you look at trauma trauma is disconnection yeah Mm. so you do not feel safe you do not feel connected you don't feel a sense of um like acceptance and love and belonging right and so it's really easy to see how that happened you've explained how the illness unfolded and you're under an enormous amount of stress at the same time you're having all these this enlightenment an experience of enlightenment um and it 
at the same time, you know, no one was listening to what you were trying to say or you felt that they weren't listening. Um, I was going to ask you, just for our listeners, were there any treatments that you had that were effective or if there were there any negative treatment, you know, experiences that you wish you hadn't been put through? Um, yeah, the first, so the first lot of treatment, because I went to hospital for six months, um, for the first time on and off for about six months. Yes. And um, I'll probably describe the symptoms first before treatment, if that's okay. So yes, to give yes, context. Yeah. Yes. Um, so for me, the symptoms were um, for my psychosis was very, I felt like my head was on fire. Um, so my brain, yeah, just com- like felt like it, it was burning and that it wouldn't stop. I couldn't make it stop. So that was terrifying for me and for my family as well. Um, and I kept saying to my mum, like, I've, I think I've got schizophrenia, like I've got schizophrenia and, um, yeah, just repeated it over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, some of the other symptoms were like I'd, I wouldn't leave my room. I was terrified of uh, people, even loved ones. Like we had to draw a circle of trust and all these different things. Yeah, so um, just to give that context first before I go yes, into the treatment. Yes. Thank to you. See, yeah. yeah, no, you're right. To see that I was highly functional before. Yeah. Yes. Um, not highly functional, but functional. Ooh. And um, and then, yeah, it just went from com- functioning to a point of completely unable to uh, function in society. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't engage in conversations with uh, other people. I was terrified of adults after that and anyone in authority, things like that. I felt very safe around unwell people because there was no judgment. Yes. But anybody that was judging me, I was terrified of. Um, so, yeah, that was a bit of a few of the symptoms. And so we tried a lot of different medications and, um, yeah, a lot of them didn't work. So the the last resort was to have uh, electroconvulsive therapy um, because at this stage, like, I just sort of stopped talking, like I couldn't engage in oh, conversation. Dear, yeah. yeah, so people would come to visit me at the hospital and, yeah, like I'd just sort of be like this blank emptiness. Mm. Um So, yeah, anyway, so we tried the ECT and after I think I had 12 sessions and that was incredible. Like after about the fourth session, it was like I could talk again and I'm thanking the doctors and, yeah, like it just held a conversation again. I've heard very good reports about ECT. I did a placement on a psych unit and um, I have heard good reports about it. It sounds like there's a lot of stigma attached to it from the old days. Yeah, there's a lot of um, and it's not relevant now. Yeah, yeah, it's not as invasive as it used to be. It's incredibly non-invasive. We yeah. we had these um, nurses, like trainee nurses, watching, and they were so excited to watch. And then I asked them afterwards how it was. They said it was so boring. Yeah. You know, like they didn't see anything invasive. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in terms of treatment, so ECT was very helpful, um, and I think with the treatment. For me, with psychosis, what I really needed was because I'd lost the capacity to function, you know, like I couldn't work, I couldn't, I had personal neglect, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't shower and things that I'd normally do. So we had to start from scratch. And the psychiatrist I had at the time, she was amazing. She wouldn't refuse to diagnose me. She said, you've obviously studied psychology and diagnose yourself enough. So we'll just call it an existential crisis. Um, And so she recommended to do something very simple, which was Meals on Wheels, which was two hours a day. Um, 
you know, a couple of days a week and to just get back into the community in a way that was not threatening. So older people wouldn't be, you know, like scary towards me. Brilliant. And, yeah. uh, and it, this changed my life. If honestly, just these two hours a day, cause I could not handle, there was no way I could handle seven hours of anything. Um, so just two hours a day and going out and just dropping a meal off was perfect. And within three to six months, I was probably ready to do something different. So then they recommended support work. So then I went and did um, at St. John's Community Care. I, I brought in my resume to volunteer and they looked at my resume and they said, why do you want to volunteer? Like, we'll pay you. And then I told them, I said, oh, I've had psychosis. I'm in recovery. And they said, no, 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 we know the perfect place for you and we'll pay you. And they gave me this home with um, with uh, two Aboriginal aboriginals and uh, Torres Strait Islander and they two of them had cerebral palsy and one was diagnosed with schizophrenia and I ended up living with them doing sleepover shifts for five years and they were just amazing. Is there anything you want to share with us and can you recommend any resources to our listeners? Um, Okay so in terms of resources or in terms of yeah in terms of resources, the, the the main things I would recommend today is look at things from a trauma-informed care perspective, yeah? Um, so there's been so much focus on, you know, different types of injustice and different types of mental illness. And, and while that has a place, it absolutely definitely has a place to know what is what, um, you know, depression is different to anxiety, for example. Try and also look at the bigger picture, yeah? So what is injustice? That's the negative operation of power yeah and what is you know the underlying thing of all these different you know types of um mental illness that we're experiencing you know nine times out of ten it's going to be trauma so if you have a trauma-informed approach and you can ask your psychologist or your doctor can I please have a trauma-informed um you know look at trauma-informed care and you know have trauma-informed support because what that will do is that will do your um, your body up, which is things like, you know, um, you know, food, sleep, uh, all that kind of stuff, martial arts, yoga, anything, which is about the body up and then your mind down, which will be all the different types of, you know, the brain down stuff like mindfulness or CBT, whatever yeah. people are interested in. So if you do it from that way, you're, you're going to tackle it from both angles. Also, and just, a, a trauma-informed approach acknowledges the trauma you've suffered. And yeah, the damage and, is done and that in itself is good. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to stop looking at what's wrong with people and what hurt you, you know, like what, because trauma is not um, on the outside, trauma's inside you. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. Um, so you told me when we were talking, um, the, the body keeps the score, chasing the scream. They're, yeah. Their resources, um, how do people contact them or? Yes, yeah, so um, The Body Keeps the Score is a book by Bessel van der Kolf, and he's one of the pioneering um, experts in trauma today that we know of. Mm-hmm. So if you have a look at his book, he's got, or, yeah, you can. there's so many resources on the internet that you yeah. can have a look at. Um, so, yeah, he just explains how, um, yeah, like what's going on in the body from a trauma point of view. There's also Dr. Gaber Mate. He's excellent um, as well. So he's calling for a trauma-informed world. Um, and that's something that I'm also calling for Australia now to have, just like we have an occupational health and safety framework in every building in Australia, I'd like to see a trauma-informed framework, which all that means is, is the principles are um, safety, trustworthiness, choice, 
collaboration and empowerment. So it's yes. very simple. Yeah. yeah. And what are you doing t- today, like your career at the moment? Okay, so today I work in Cape York as a psychologist. Um, so I work with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. I do fly-in, fly-out work. Um, and, yeah, my I, this is something that I love doing because I get to do that holistic approach that I described earlier. Um, right. I also do some, uh, like, sort of academic educational stuff on Twitter. So if anybody's interested in uh, any psychology, topics or um, social justice topics then if you look for Dr Louise Hansen on Twitter I share a lot of different things Um, my inbox is open so if you need it if you want a resource on something you can always ask me and I'm happy to share it if I've made it yeah if I've made a thread of it already Um, and yeah so we don't I'm not on Twitter as a psychologist Um, I have to make that really clear I'm on there as an academic yeah so if people need support uh, with the psychologist then that's something they need to go and do in person or online and I'm and I'm happy to show you how to do that Uh, but in terms of Twitter yeah it's it wouldn't be appropriate for me to be a psychologist there but as an academic more than happy to share anything and I share all I've created threads on tools for well being everything that I would normally give to clients I've put into threads for people so that they can read that stuff and yeah learn to regulate their emotions and establish a sense of connection and belonging and yeah and that's how like I saw the thread you put up about psychosis and that's why I contacted you it was very interesting and I know that you stick to fact and accuracy Um, so that's brilliant Look, Louise, it's been wonderful to hear your story today. Thank you for taking the time to share these experiences. Um, I'm sure our Brainwaves listeners will be fascinated and inspired by what you've had to say. Um, It's clear that you're very successful now and have a a fulfilling life. And if I ever get up to Cape York, I'll make sure I touch base. Um, Yeah, that'd be lovely. And just to thank you on a personal level for all your human rights advocacy. It's people like you that keep me going. So, oh, it's people like you that keep me going. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Louise. Thank you, Dr. Louise Hansen, for coming on the show today and sharing uh, your story. I have no doubt that our listeners will be inspired by you and your story and also with your very beautiful holistic point of view. I hope that everyone has enjoyed today's show and you can find more of our shows on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au or on Spotify or wherever you happen to download your 3CR podcast. Um, If you'd like to share your story or if you'd like to send us an email with feedback or suggestions for future shows, we'd love to hear from you and you can contact us at brainwaves at wellways.org. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe and we'll be back next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.